Before we get started, my new book, Building a Story Brand, is out now. If you've ever struggled with how to describe what you do, how to describe the value that you offer customers, so that when you go to create a web page, you don't know exactly what to say, or when you're talking to somebody at a cocktail party, you fumble over your words, that's a problem. And the problem exists because people buy things based on the words we use to describe the products that we're selling. It's the words. That's the key. My new book, Building a Story Brand, will teach you to reduce your sales pitch down to sound bites that actually get through to a customer's brain so that they say to themselves, I need that, I want that. You get your entire marketing message down on one page, and then you use that page to create websites, email blasts, cocktail party elevator pitches, sales scripts, everything that you need to do to describe what you offer the world this is the book that makes marketing easy. I'd love for you to pick it up, buildingastorybrand.com. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. When you buy it, forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com, and I will send you a video that promises to make you a marketing ninja. It's literally just a 15-minute video that shares the two things that customers' brains are always doing, and it'll change the way you talk to them. Buy the book, Building a Story Brand, forward your receipt to bonus at storybrand.com, and I will send you the video, How to Become a Marketing Ninja. With that, let's get on to the podcast. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., interesting yeah. thing happened to me last night. Go. I did not want to go to the musical An American in Paris. I know. <laughs> I <laughs> know you we didn't. talked about it earlier. <laughs> yeah. Betsy got tickets. Yes. And we were going to go. We both kind of wanted to go, but it had been a long week. Yeah. We've not had very many nights home, yeah. just alone by ourselves. But we've kind of been holed up in the house for a while. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't want to go see the musical. Not that it's not going to be good. You know it's going to be good. Yeah. But, you know, it's competing with a night at home with no yeah. <laughs> agenda, yes. which is just gold. Yeah. But then I thought to myself, no, a change of geographical context yeah, just will be great for me and Betsy sofa. right now. Yeah. Yeah, just getting out of the house, being dressed differently and in a different place is yeah. an experience that we need right about now. Probably been about 10 days and we need that. Yeah. I didn't encourage us to go because of the musical. I encouraged us to go because I recognize there's something about changing your context which yeah. changes who you are. Yeah. And I went on Tuesday. You did. You <laughs> yeah. went to an American <laughs> Paris on Tuesday. On Tuesday and loved it. <laughs> By the way, and, I asked you, because yeah. you went on Tuesday, we went last night, yeah. and I asked you the day that we went, is there going to be a lot of ballet? <laughs> and you said, it's not ballet. And you did this move like jazz hands thing <laughs> where you kind of like... You kind of threw yourself forward. And there was a point in the actual, like, I'm not kidding, two hours into this thing where some guy did the exact move. I know. And I burst out laughing. <laughs> People turned and looked at me, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. My buddy JJ did that. They didn't yes. understand. Well, I think that's, when it comes to art and music, and especially going out, because I'm a homebody. Like, I will stay home every Too night. Too long. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> there are times over weekends where I will not see a single soul. Like, I just will stay. And I think that when you, 
expose yourself to art and culture and different environments. Something new. It wakes you up a little bit in a way that you can't force when you're just sitting in the familiar. And why I say that, I actually kind of, when I was 18, I decided to leave the country every year. I've left the country Mm. every single year. Sometimes when I was very poor, living in California, I just drove to Mexico. (laughs) But I wanted to get out of my environment and kind of wake myself up a little bit. And one of my friends who used to work for Procter & Gamble actually told me some stuff that really kind of fit into it that in many ways justified, put science behind why I wanted to wake myself up by like going to another country or going to the mountains or the beach or something. And he was saying that Procter & Gamble actually did all these studies about when people go shopping at their local grocery store that they are familiar with. When you know it, you've been there a hundred times, your breathing slows a little bit and your heart rate goes down a little bit. You actually relax. Because it's a familiar place? Because it's a familiar place. And so you go on the same route. You'll first stop by the bread, then you'll go to the (laughs) cheese, then you'll go to the milk and you'll go around. Because you are so familiar with the environment, you begin making choices and your actions are based out of your subconscious. Just just like mindless. Yep. So you will buy the same things without thinking. It's the same kind of thing like when you're driving a familiar route, like when you're driving home from work and you to go pick up your kids at school, but you forget and just keep going home <laughs> because you're so familiar with that route. You actually drive from your subconscious yeah, you're on automation. as well. And what they've discovered is they have to do something to kind of wake you up when you walk in the store. They have to change your environment. And typically, you know, when you see those sales at the front, that's like candy, two for one or, or right. soda, two for one. We think that's there to highlight the sale. It's actually not. It's to change your environment and wake you up. Because when you wake up and have to pay attention, you now start coming out of your subconscious and start making different choices. Does Procter & Gamble know, do they actually sometimes change up stores? Like they'll go put the peanut butter two hours over? Yes, because it has to make you think. Because it makes you think. So when I went out of the country or when I took students out of the country when I worked in higher education, my main goal in that was to kind of wake you up. Because a lot of times students get in these ruts of even like depression or they feel overwhelmed by their circumstances and they're just making the same choices over and over and over again. And when you change your environment, you actually end up changing your habits. Because Mm. when I'm overseas, my morning routine is different than it would be if I was at home. And so I have to start making different choices because I can't do things the same way, which actually impacts the rest of my day because I actually am more woke, as the kids say these days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm awake to my surroundings and my choices, and I start making different choices. And that's the same thing in shopping. You will actually make different choices when you are awake because your environment has changed and you've had to wake up a little bit. We're just big computers, aren't we? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We're just big tomatoes. I thought it was fascinating to me. And it really kind of like justified for me, why is it important for me to change up my environment? Why is it important for me to get out of a rut and go to a show? Like you may not think that American in Paris is the best musical I'll ever see. However, it changes your environment and ultimately wakes you up to new things around you. It did. You feel like a little bit of a different person. You're not the person in the rut. You're the person experiencing something different. Yeah. And it worked. You know, Betsy and I had a great time last night. By the end of it, she's wearing my sweatshirt because it was cold, <laughs> and she's got her head on my shoulder, and just kind of going, you know, I'm glad we stuck around. And we were also going to leave at intermission, which yeah. is our, it's actually our tradition. It's like nine o'clock, time yeah. to go to bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to be up at four <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Anyway, but it works. Well, that's part of the science of what Whitney Johnson is going to talk about in today's interview. Yeah. Whitney Johnson is an author. She wrote a book called Disrupt Yourself, and it's basically it's a career book 
But it talks about how to get ahead, how to be more productive, how to keep your career going. And also, if you manage or run a company, how to disrupt your employees to actually keep them alive and ticking and thinking yeah. and productive and happy and increase morale. It's a really fascinating concept. She's incredibly brilliant. I think after we talked with her last time, if you remember, we kind of hung up and went, that girl's smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she got the brains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, She's fantastic. She actually co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Harvard's Clayton Christensen. Oh, wow. There you go. Wow. <laughs> anyway, fascinating interview. I'm not going to wait anymore. Here's my conversation with the author of Disrupt Yourself, Whitney Johnson. Whitney, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are an important voice right now because you understand, talk about, guide people through disruption. And I'm not exactly sure what disruption means. It's one of those buzzwords that everybody thinks they understand, but they don't understand. And yet I feel it in the air and it seems like it's getting quote unquote worse every day. I don't fully understand what it is, except everything changes. I mean, you have the leading taxi company in the world owns no cars, Uber, right? The leading hotel chain in the world owns no hotel rooms, Airbnb. Everything is changing so fast. Nobody could have predicted it 10 years ago. Is that what you mean by disruption? Yes, absolutely. So Airbnb is disrupting hotels. Uber is disrupting taxi companies. And so the way I think about disruption is it's a silly little thing that takes over the world. And it follows a framework. You start at the low end of the market. So if you think about a company like Toyota, for example. You mean it's predictable? Like we can predict disruption is coming? Yes. So you start at the low end of the market as a silly little thing, and then you work your way up market, and then you eventually upend an industry. So that's what I mean by disruption. Give us a couple more examples of markets that have been completely disrupted. The media industry. Oh, yeah. The very fact that we're doing a podcast right now, I mean, this would have been unheard of 10 years ago, yeah. and yet now anybody can get a microphone and a computer, and now they're on the radio. We have our own radio station. Yep, we have our own radio station. So the media industry, the education industry, people are now going to school online in a way that they never thought they would. In fact, Harvard's even expecting that they will be disrupted. So pretty much any industry that's out there is being disrupted. What I have done with this notion of disruption is said, okay, you can predict what's going to happen. And this predictability centers around not only what's going to happen with products and services and companies and countries and industries, but you can also predict what it looks like for you as an individual so that you as a leader who knows that you've been tasked with managing through change now has a framework for not just coping with the change, but harnessing the change. And what happens though, is if you're like all other humans out there is you expect it to look and feel linear. It isn't. So it feels scary and lonely. <laughs> and what I've learned is having been a stock analyst on Wall Street and working with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School and using this framework of disruption at a very, very high level, it's a framework for managing change. And the fundamental unit of change in an organization is actually the individual. And so the work that I do with companies, 
whether you're scaling your business or acquiring a business or just trying to get people to be more innovative, is to diagnose where they are on the curve of change, figure out what strengths they already have to lean into change so that they can then come up with a solution for, okay, we're going to not only be in a position where we're potentially coping, but instead by being the subject of change, we avoid irrelevance. We become the boss of change. We're the disruptor, not the disrupted. And by being willing to do all that, you become a leader that people want to work for because they know you are going to manage their the organization. security. Exactly. They're going to help you feel secure. It's the framework that we need to understand in your book, Disrupt Yourself. And I know you've got a book coming out about helping organizations deal with disruption. Your first book, though, is Disrupt Yourself, about helping you personally deal with disruption. Is the framework you're talking about in this book? Because I'd like to be able to go through both, if you don't mind. I know the new book's not out yet, but I'd love to be able to understand how we can prepare ourselves and be ready and feel confident in an age of disruption and how we can prepare our teams and feel confident in an age of disruption. We can talk through both. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about an S and what's called an S curve. And typically the S curve over decades has been used to help you deal with the unpredictability. And so if you can envision in your mind at the bottom of the S, growth is going to be very slow. And so you're going to work really hard and not much is happening. And then at some point, there's this tipping point, typically at 10 to 15% penetration of the market. And then you go into this sleek, steep back of the S. And that's the exciting part of the curve. And then at the top of the curve, you're going to be working hard again, but not much is happening. Well, the big aha is that this S curve that predicts what happens with innovations can also be used to understand the psychology of disruption. So anytime you you take on a new task, anytime you take on a new project, it's an opportunity to disrupt. So now you know at the low end, you're going to work hard, not much is happening. That helps you avoid discouragement. You get into the sweet spot. So you're not having to do all that much and a lot is happening. So you're competent and confident. And at the top of the curve, things become very easy. They become very routine, but because you're no longer enjoying the feel good effects of learning, you can get bored. And if you don't jump to a new S curve, your plateau can actually become a precipice. So part of what you want to do is every time you get on an S curve, once you get to the top of that S curve, is be willing to jump to the bottom of a new S curve. And so as I work with individuals and organizations, the first question I ask is, where are you on the S curve? So if you've just started in a role, you're probably at six months. There's sort of six months in or less, you're at the low end. If you've been in the role two to three years, you're probably in the sweet spot. And if you've been in a role for more than three or four years with no new assignments, you're at the high end of that S curve. Now, inside of an organization, you optimize your team. You optimize your organization by having about 70% of your people in the sweet spot where they're feeling competent and confident. And your job is just to give them stretch assignments and keep pushing them. You want to have 15% of your people at the low end, brand new, learning things, asking lots of questions that seem kind of stupid, but they're questioning everything. And they're giving you lots of information about what you could do differently. 
then you want to have 15% of your people at the top of the curve who can bring people along. But those are your people that are critical to allow them to jump to a new curve after they've been in a role for two or three years. And that is the key to harnessing innovation and driving engagement inside of your company. Because if you've got too many people at the top of your S curve, you either have people who are complacent or people who are going to leave. So if you want to know if you're about to be disrupted, you just take the pulse of your workforce. Really? Like if they're thinking they want to leave, you're probably about to be disrupted. Okay, I want to be able to apply this. And I know everybody listening is saying, okay, you know, I ship steel recycling to China and they ship it back. And how is this going to be disrupted? I'm thinking about my own business because everybody's kind of processing it. You know, we've got a company, we help people clarify their message. We've got live workshops, online workshops, we've got train to trainer, we've got consulting to some degree. And in a way, I'm looking at that going, okay, we're definitely on the way up. We're on that steep kind of rocket climb. And then we had the chance to become, or at least create a revenue stream that would be a design agency because everybody was coming to us and saying, can you make my website? We decided we didn't want to do that because it's not really our sweet spot. So we certified existing agencies to do that. And then we point to them on our website. And then we realized, wait a second, we could become the biggest design agency in the world and have no designers, just like Uber and Airbnb. So I feel like we are currently heading toward disruption, nowhere near that, but we built the pipeline. Now we just got to get the oil through the pipeline, if you will. Analyze my company. Are we heading up? Are we about to get taken down? What do I need to be worried about? Do you see what I'm saying? I think everybody's trying to process what you're saying through their own lens. It's a great question. Okay, so let's, we're talking on two different levels here. Okay. So on the one hand, we're talking about your company per se. And so I right. would say, based on what I know about StoryBrand, having been to one of your workshops and watching what you're doing, and you just had a book come out, congratulations, the organization from an industry perspective is in the sweet spot of the S curve. One of the things you're doing in order that the company not get disrupted is you're figuring out different revenue streams. You have some things that come to you say, no, nope, that's not interesting. Other things that do. And I would say that you as an organization are in the process of disrupting the advertising industry by developing not only a new approach to marketing, but also a new business model around marketing. Just like you said, you're going to have an advertising agency without any advertisers in-house. So that's from an organizational perspective. Now, from an individual perspective, what I would say to you is in order for you to remain innovative, you want to make sure that of your workforce, you've got about 70% in the sweet spot. So they've been in a role or on certain assignments or projects for no longer than two to three years because that's where they're optimally engaged. You can give them big problems they're excited about. They solve it. They know a lot. You want to have 15% at the low end because as you know, people when they first start are seeing everything through fresh eyes and you get lots of information from them plus you need a pipeline. Now your people at the height of the S curve, if you allow those people who have become very capable and very competent and you say, all right, I'm at risk of losing them or I'm at risk of them being complacent, I'm going to give them a whole new role or a whole new assignment. I'm going to 
ask them to jump to a new S-curve inside of my organization than these high performers who were at risk of not being high performers anymore. You've just now put them back in a situation where they can go into maximum engagement in the sweet spot of the S-curve. It makes complete sense. And to some degree, we've done that. We moved somebody from director of facilitation to chief of staff. We start shifting and working on different projects. We want to make sure people don't get bored and complacent, those kinds of things. You can sort of predict it, right? And I think it comes from that creative intuition, writing books, where you go, okay, the audience is getting bored. We've got to change this. <laughs> you know, right? it's just that, yep. that entertainer yep. gene actually serves you as a leader, I would think. You know, you can tell when your audience is getting bored of their jobs. So that sounds like just practical advice, even without disruption, of people can last about three years thinking about the same thing, and then you're going to start getting a diminished return on your investment. But it's not the person, it's you as the leader, you need to shake them up a little bit. And I find the same thing with me as a writer and speaker and business owner. I go about 18 months to two years, usually the book launches about eight months later, I'm ready for some other massive project, some other mountain to climb. Has this changed in the last 10 to 15 years? It used to be 12 years, and now it's three years because, you know, Twitter is 140 characters and everything's becoming so short and our attention spans are supposedly so much shorter. Is this now a condensed version of the way the patterns of history have worked? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that, but I would say to you, if we're speculating or conjecturing, given that the pace of technology change has accelerated, I think it's fair to posit that the pace of learning has accelerated as well. I think if also, again, if you take this learning curve and you map it against the 10,000 hour rule and people are working about 40 hours a week, then you would hit the top of your S curve after about three or four years in the role. And obviously it's going to change, but I think that there's this embedded view in us that whenever we hire someone, we kind of hire them into a role indefinitely, like they're never going to leave and they're always going to be there. And when we allow a person to jump to a new S-curve, it takes something out of us because they're so good at what they're doing. When they jump, we're going to sacrifice some near-term productivity. And so one of the reasons I think this framework is so helpful for people is they can say, okay, I get it. I can see how If I will manage the change this way, I will let my people jump to a new S-curve. They won't need to leave. And that's going to help them. It's going to help the organization. And we are, as an organization, are going to be more successful at managing change because we're surfing the S-curve ways as opposed to being tumbled by those waves. I'll be back in a moment with the rest of my conversation with Whitney Johnson. It's another segment of Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Kula in her Wonder Woman pose. What is today's marketing myth? Here's today's myth. SEO is all you need. SEO is all you need. It's like love. <laughs> love is all you need. No, it isn't, John Lennon. <laughs> SEO is not enough. Here's the thing. Having a high SEO ranking is passive lead generation. So even if you're the first or second search result to show up on Google, right. if people are coming to your website and you don't offer valuable content that your audience is going to love, you're not going to convert that person. SEO, just for the people who don't know, is search engine optimization. optimization. And we get this question a lot in totally. our workshops. They say, you know, you're cutting 90% of the text off my website. You're making everything really clear. But what about SEO? Well, you get SEO in a segment of websites that we recommend called the explanatory paragraph. Right. It's, it's not just one paragraph. It's three or four paragraphs that explain everything. It is your brand script spelled out in text form. 
That is how search engines find you. However, there are a ton of design firms out there that say, spill your guts on a website, say everything, use all the keywords because it's the only way you're going to show up on Google. Right. Couple things about this. One is Google is changing this algorithm to yep. figure out whether that's what you're doing. Yeah. And they're also changing it to figure out whether you're actually offering valuable content. Mm -hmm. And that's where you come in in this myth. You're saying using a bunch of keywords and throwing them up on a website is not going to do it. They are figuring out whether or not your content is valuable or not. Yeah, absolutely. Google is, and so are your customers. How do you create valuable content on your website and your lead generators and your emails? And I realize emails not showing up on SEO radar. How do you create valuable content? How do you find out what's valuable for your customers? Well, you have to understand what problems your customers are facing mm. because what they're looking for when they come to your website, no matter what you sell, no matter if you're B2B or B2C, they're looking for a solution to some problem that they it's have. The only reason they go to your website is they have a problem. Right. So if you're looking for a piece of content to give away on your website, that piece of content should speak to how it's going to solve your customers' problems. Yep. So more important than the keywords that you use or your ranking on Google is the content that you give away. Give away stuff that you know your audience will love and that you know they'll benefit from. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a better return on your investment with your website and your like digital it. strategy. Yeah, SEO is not enough. These days, you have to offer a lot of free, valuable content. Absolutely. I love it. Listen, if you are not good at creating content and you want to know somebody who is or discover somebody who is, we certify marketing coaches, copywriters, and entire digital agencies at Clarify Your Message. Dot com. You can search our directory. Literally look at their smiling faces <laughs> and call them on the phone. Get to know them. See if they might be the right fit for you. We want you to get a relationship with a story brand certified guide, copywriter, or agency who can create your entire sales funnel for you. And the prices, we don't control their pricing and we don't take a percentage of it. But I've heard they're pretty good. They're awesome. And they're, of course, delivering incredible content because they all spend four days in Nashville, Tennessee with me. And we tell them what we tell you, that is measure your success on your customer's revenue, not yours. That means they're measuring their success on the return they get for you. And these people are smart as a whip and they know what they're doing. Go to clarifyyourmessage.com, hire one of our certified guides, certified copywriters, or certified complete agencies today. Once again, clarifyyourmessage.com. Kula, thank you for another wonderful segment of Marketing Mythbusters. Thank you, Don. Let's say we get 10 to 15% market share in advertising, web design, all that kind of stuff. Basically, it's all coming through us and we're sending it out to our certified folks. When should I worry? You know, we got 10 to 15% five years out from now. Should I be worried the entire time that we are going to be disrupted? And how do you get ready for the next disruption? How do you find the new S-curve? And you've got some resistance in your book intellectual entitlement, thinking that nothing can ever bring you down, I would imagine. What are the things that I need to look out for and how do I get to the new S-curve? So I would say simply being aware that you could get entitled. I mean, one of the things that happens in that sweet spot is that your revenue is growing. It's possibly growing exponentially. Your margins are expanding. So it's very easy to get super comfortable. And yet the research has shown over and over again, the people who are able to manage that change and not be subject to it are the ones who prepare capabilities before they need them. And so I think the willingness to ask those questions all along that, you know, once you've gotten sort of 15% and you're lock and load ready to scale, which is what your business is doing now, then you start to say to yourself, okay, 
let's start questioning our assumptions. And one of the best ways to question your assumptions is to give your people that are in the sweet spot really tough stretch assignments and find out what people are hearing from the outside and also take your people who are at the top of the curve and put them down at the bottom of the curve because all of what you need to understand the market is actually in-house. It's in the brains of the people who work for you and the conversations that they're having. So a simple willingness to be open to what they're hearing, they are going to have the pulse of what you need to be looking at and what are those new S curves so that you can jump to those S curves before anybody else can and stay ahead of your competition. You've got a new book that's coming out in 2018. It's called Building an A-Team. And really the book, even though it's about building an A-team and building a great team, it's really about being the kind of boss people love to work for. And those two go hand in hand. And I know the book isn't out yet. Your book, Disrupt Yourself, is out now. The next book I'm, I'm excited about, will you just describe to me in this age of disruption based in the context of the things we've been talking about, what kind of boss do people love to work for? Yeah, so the boss that people love to work for is the boss that lets you bring your dreams to work. And you're able to bring your dreams to work when your boss sees your team as a collection of S-curves and sees every single individual them on an S-curve. And kind of knows them. where they are. They sort of intuit. Exactly. And yeah. you would be surprised. Actually, you wouldn't be surprised because I know you're talking to companies all the time. But I find it shocking when I talk to a CEO and they say to me, well, I don't know what my team person wants to do. I don't know what they want to do, or they don't even have an S-curve. And when you as a boss are willing to say, what curve do you want to be on? Are you happy on this curve? Is it time for you to jump to a new curve? The loyalty that that breeds when you know that your boss has your back even before or put your back prior to the company's back that's just really good business. And in fact, one of the things I love is I interviewed not too long ago, Patrick Pichette, who's the former CFO of Google. And he said, I love it when my people get poached. Well, we all know we don't love it when our people get poached. But the mere fact that he has put his employee before himself, that's a boss that people want to work for. And so when you inside of your company see every individual's S-curve and then you optimize those individual S-curves in the 70, 15, 15 that I said just a moment ago, then people love working for you because they know that you're going to get to jump to a new curve when you're ready. And because you as a manager are able to manage through change and disrupt rather than be disrupted because you've optimized your workforce such that you are able to anticipate industry change. I would imagine one of the enemies of disruption or at least surfing the wave of disruption, one of the ways that disruption takes people down is failing to have the paradigm shift that the organization you are running is alive. And I've done this as a business owner. I've tried to build the thing as though it were a foundation for a house that would last 100 years and become a money printing machine, right? And it's not that. This is a living, breathing, multifaceted organization that parts of it are getting sick, parts of it are becoming healthy, parts of it need to be moved around, parts of it need to be replaced at all times. And it's not something that's ever going to, quote unquote, manage itself, is it? No. And that's what makes it so challenging is because, again, as I said earlier, is, you know, we like things to be linear. We like to sort of put things in a box and have that box stay there. And, and you've got all these things that are just moving around all the time. And so 
this notion that we hire someone and sort of think in the back of our mind that they're going to stay in that place indefinitely. And if we can get out of that mindset, our people will be happier, we'll be happier, and the organization will profit from it. Anybody who knows my work over a long period of time knows that I was a memoirist and even a Christian memoirist and then decided to pivot and wrote this business book because that's where my heart went, my interest went there. And you just wouldn't believe when you change lanes how many people honk at you and shoot the finger at you and say, get back in your lane and you're not supposed to be over here. <laughs> I had you categorized as this kind of person, so you can't possibly live in this category. And it takes a minute for everybody to go, oh, okay, well, I guess you can live in this lane now. And that disruption is actually a gift, I think, because we're all disrupting ourselves all the time. And the fact that you give us sort of permission to evolve and change and be human and transform the way great characters do, I believe is a gift to the world. Whitney, thanks for joining us. If people want to know more about you, they can go to WhitneyJohnson.com. Is that right? That's correct. And I'm told you have a tool, which I'm very curious about. I'm going to download this here in a second and figure out where I am on the S-curve. If you go to WhitneyJohnson.com slash diagnostic, you can take a little test and figure out where you are on the S-curve. Or you can just ask your spouse. They'll tell you. (laughs) They'll tell you, change, get out, (laughs) start over. (laughs) Whitney, this is a wonderful conversation. You are brilliant, and I am so grateful for your time. You're doing good stuff in the world. Thank you for having me. Well, that was a great interview. Do you see I how I just I disrupted our I normal did. flow? <laughs> yeah, you, normally I say yeah, something. Normally you say something. I just disrupted I didn't know what things. to do. I know. Thank you. I, Thank you. I thought I did a fantastic <laughs> oh, job. That was a great interview. <laughs> <laughs> I disrupted things up a little bit. What's your next big disruption, do you think? Betsy and I go to Paris. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Paris. We go to Paris soon. We've looked at our frequent flyer miles. I'm going to London on business, and I think that's the big disruption. We go to Paris to meet with one of her friends, and then I go to London, and I meet with, are you ready? Uh The Economist. I know. (laughs) I am a geek fan for the last probably 10 years of The Economist magazine, and we got a call at the office. They want StoryBrand to come over and teach the StoryBrand framework, and I I wanted to go so bad. I I stole (laughs) it from you. What's hilarious is it's like I'm talking to them, and they're talking about a private workshop, and I know how much you love them. And you were kind to me. Well, and I was kind of going, if I do not tell him that they called and I took this without telling him, I'm going to be in big trouble. (laughs) I think that would have hurt. Yeah. But if you really want to hurt me, I follow you on Instagram, just you, Pete Carroll, and the Seattle Seahawks saying it was a great private workshop with the Seattle Seahawks today. (laughs) That's how I find out. Oh, I know. Yeah, (laughs) no, there is no way that, no. We are done. Yeah. We are done. You were dead to me. And I feel the same way about the Oregon Ducks. I would not, I actually wouldn't do that to you. We would go together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I have a feeling that time with those folks, I don't think I've looked forward to an engagement more than with The Economist. I think they're some of the smartest journalists in the world. I think they're trustworthy with their words. I think, you know, you come back, you step up your game a little bit. And so that's the next probably disruption that I'm... Yeah. You know, one of the things that The Economist does is yeah. it kind of makes you feel guilty because you get one every week and you're like, I haven't finished the last yes. one yet. Yeah. <laughs> happens all the time. I am on pace. You have to I am, be. I know. Have I am to be. on pace. <laughs> and that is a, yeah. that's a rich magazine to read. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think their coverage of America is better than any American I'm news so organization. That that, so, but that's really good. Music from this anyway, episode music from is um, by. Sorry. I'm going to disrupt a little bit here. <laughs> but thanks usually, as always for listening. Thanks as always for to listening building to the story building. Possibly, we believe you music can music from this episode. I, I decided host, to break Miller, things up. Disrupting things. Clear way to grow your <laughs> business. <laughs> I do it better. Oh, I beg to differ, Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
music from this episode. No. Yeah, you got it. It's, it's <laughs> that, more guttural. Music know, from this episode. I know. I get really when I get excited, my voice goes up. Remember when I talked about how people think I'm a woman in a drive-through? No, so <laughs> that's where it's like music from this episode. And I like the music. It's very music nasally. from this episode. I want my job back. Uh, you can take it, please. All I'm right. kind of over this. <laughs> <laughs>